This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I caught up with VNCA president, Jazz. A quick caveat for this one, like all episodes over the past six months, it was recorded in advance for my maternity leave. We recorded in August 2019 for release before the VNCA conference in Melbourne this month. Jazz's year as president will come to an end at conference and I'm sorry I wasn't able to get her reflections for the full year. We did, however, cover the first six months, including the hugely successful launch and rollout of the Avnat scheme. Aside from being president of the VNCA, Jazz was recommended to me by multiple people as a perfect Radio Vet Nurse guest. She got her start in the industry at the ripe old age of 11 and her passion and enthusiasm will leave you straightening your stethoscope and fist punching the air. Another caveat for this episode, Jazz was unwell when we recorded and a bit concerned that she A, might have a coughing fit and B, sounded like a pack-a-day smoker. I quite liked the Janice Joplin voice, but definitely edited out a few coughing fits, including one caused by our ongoing laughter at my favourite unexpected radio vet nurse tangent ever, the subtle art of fainting. I hope you enjoy Jazz's interview and conference this month if you're lucky enough to be going. I recorded this interview with Jazz in August 2019, just before starting maternity leave. At the time, we discussed how a lot could happen in seven months, but we couldn't have imagined the state the world would be in. Life as we know it has been turned on its head as we try to navigate the COVID-19 global pandemic. In this episode, Jazz and I discussed the 26th VNCA conference to be held in Melbourne this month. Like veterinary conferences the world over, it's now been postponed. Follow the VNCA Facebook page for news of alternative plans and future dates. I talk a lot on the show about my previous life as a lawyer, but my first degree was in international studies at RMIT's School of Globalisation. The whole premise of our degree and my subsequent career in corporate social responsibility was that we live in an age of globalisation. So watching COVID-19 close national borders and halt global flows of trade and people has blown my mind. It leaves me with little doubt that it is now crucial to maintain the global flow of ideas, knowledge and our support for one another. Stay connected during this time of isolation as we face unprecedented challenges in an industry that was already tackling challenges of its own. Take comfort in knowing that this experience will make us more resilient, flexible and grateful. Carry on, we got this. Hey Jazz, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I am really keen to chat to you. You were one of the first people recommended to me for the podcast over a year ago, and now you are the current um, president of the VNCA. So um, it's great uh, to finally get around to interviewing you. Disclaimer, we are recording in August 2019, and this 
episode is going to go to air in April 2020, just before the conference. So you're about halfway through um, your year as president, if I can count, is that right? Yeah, Yeah, halfway through now. Yeah, so we'll be able to touch on um, some of your year, but due to me sitting on a couch breastfeeding a baby for about three months straight (laughs) in a matter of weeks, we might miss the second half. So I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Um, I know you've been doing some Radio Vet Nurse uh, listening in preparation for your interview. Do you listen to any other podcasts? I, I do. I don't get to listen as much as I'd like um, just because, you know, busy. But um, I often listen when I'm driving. Um, yep. I really like listening to sort of general science podcasts, actually. Uh-huh. So I don't tend to listen to many vet, veterinary podcasts. I listen to things like Dr. Carl and... Yep. Um, and another one I've sort of got into because the kids really like it as well is Cosmic Vertigo, which is all about um, space and cool. uh, things like that. So, yeah, it's just interesting stuff to, to listen to. Um, and my husband sometimes puts on Stuff You Should Know as well. which is, I like that um, one. Yeah, which can be really cool too. So sort of general interest stuff, but Dr. Carl is a big hit in our house, I must admit. He's great. Have you always been into science? Yeah, I have actually. Um, ever since I was, I was always very science-minded, I think, as a kid growing yep. up. Um, science was probably one of the things I enjoyed, probably until I had to start doing things like physics, which was not real fun um, yep. in school. But um, but yeah, I kind of like understanding how things work and and um, I suppose putting putting the facts to to stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. And it's a good um, – I think it's a good skill set for a vet nurse. And I am not sciencey, but I am married to someone who's very sciencey, so I can see ah. what where you're trying to get out of, you know, Me putting too. the facts to things and figuring things out. So you too. Yeah, my husband's – well, he's now a high school science teacher, but he also has a PhD in molecular biology. So, <gasps> Oh, my God. It's a very sciencey household. Wow. Um, yeah, which is good. Yeah, no, Matt's very sciencey and I'm like, what? What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we compliment each other, so that's fine. And where are you from and where do you currently live? Ah, I well, I'm actually currently living very near where I am from. So yeah. well, I was born in Sydney, but I didn't spend much time there. Um, I mostly grew up in a small town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales uh, called Lauriton. And yes, I know Lauriton. Yeah, so um, uh, after that, I after school, I moved to Sydney and then Canberra. And five years ago, we moved back up to Port Macquarie um, mm-hmm. to be closer to family with our kids and the beach. It's all about the beach. Um, oh, I'm so jealous. Um, when Matt finished vet school, his first job out, because he wanted to do largies and the James Herriot thing, so he got a job in Warhope. Oh, um, you're kidding. No, so <laughs> I was in Brisbane still and he, for a whole year, and he was in Warhope, so some weekends we would drive and meet in the middle, like wow. around Yamba. Oh, yeah. Um, but other times I would come down to Warhope or he would go up to Brisbane and we'd always go to Port Macquarie and after that year, we were like, oh, we're so done with this um, travelling and long distance. Yeah. Like, I had wanted to stay and keep playing music in Brisbane for a bit but I was like okay I'm done with music now let's move closer yeah. and I tried to get a job in Port Macquarie because um, we really wanted to live there and enjoy the beach but I couldn't and we ended up looking where else we could live and that, that's when we came to the Tablelands so wow. yeah we um, we did look around there and go this would be amazing so I'm very jealous of your um, beach life in Port Macquarie. Uh, look it's always 
it's all it was always my end game I think yeah. <laughs> um, to get back up here you know and I knew I yeah. needed to leave um, yeah. and do my own thing but um, the end game was always to get back up here because it's just too too gorgeous to um, to not want to set up here for life really I feel like I've I'm happy. I don't. I don't think I'm ever going to want to go anywhere else. To be honest, no, I wouldn't either. If I were but, you, is your husband from there too? His family is up around Coffs Harbour way. So okay, yeah, which is great. So we're kind of close to everybody. Um, yes, which which makes it easier with um, family stuff. But uh, yeah, it's it's just perfect. I I've never lived apart from the Canberra stint. I had never mm-hmm. lived further than ten minutes from the beach in my life. Oh. <laughs> I don't ever want to be there again. Um, yeah. I just miss it too much. Where were you living in Sydney? Um, we lived, well, when I first moved, I lived in Bondi. Yeah. Um, and then uh, had a bit of a stint in Randwick and then back yeah. to Bondi Junction and then yeah. back to Randwick again, really. So it was all eastern suburbs. That's all the areas I know too. My parents grew up yeah. in Randwick, Coogee, Waverley, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah those beautiful beaches around Coogee and Bondi and everything. That's so, well, you're very lucky, Jazz. Yeah. I had these um, rental rules that um, when Jasper and I were looking for our first place and I said it can be no further south than South Coogee, no further north than North Bondi <laughs> and no further west than Hanzac Parade. <laughs> yeah, that's a good little grid. You will be living in a shoebox, but that's it'll right. be in a great location. As long as I can get to Bronte Pool, you know, easily after work, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Or the ladies' baths down at Coogee. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing? Were you nursing in Sydney? Um, I was, yeah. I was actually nursing um, before I left home. So um, I've been, yeah, it's a, it's quite a long story. Um, I guess I, uh, I actually started hanging out at the vet clinic when I was 11 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I That's took extreme. My... I don't think I've heard anyone yet who started that early. <laughs> it's a bit insane. I know. But um yeah, I took my guinea pig over to be looked at, yeah. <laughs> as you do, yeah, um, yeah. and we lived within walking distance of the local vet clinic, um, Camden Haven Veterinary Clinic in Loriton there, and I um, I took my guinea pig over, and as we were walking home, mum and I, and I said to mum, I said, I'd really love to, you know, I love animals, I'd really love to see what goes on there and help them out, you know, see if I can do some volunteer work there, and she promptly sent me back across the road by myself to ask oh. um, if I could help out, you know, after school or in the school holidays. And, um, yeah, I think I started doing that in the school holidays between year five and six. And um, I used to go in after school every Monday, Wednesday and Friday um, through wow. high school. And I worked Saturday mornings um for as long as I can remember, I think from I was about 12 or something and I used to go in and help out the other nurse on Saturday mornings and um, when I – and then I also used to go and work in the school holidays too. So sometimes if uh, other nurses were away, I would do a stint um, in the clinic for a week, um, hmm. you know, or half days or whatever. And every now and again I would have a morning or a day off school to watch a cool surgery. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, or sometimes do like – farm visits before school and things like that and the vet would drop me back at school how Um, nice of them can you imagine now a year five or six student coming in and you'd be like that's nice sweetie come back in five years I know right I think I was just really keen although um 
Yeah, I mean, look, I was just given such a great opportunity and I was so lucky to live in an area where that was possible and in a time when that was possible. Yes. Um, You know, but if my parents couldn't find me after school, because the high school um, bus dropped dropped us off across the road from the vet clinic and so I would just get straight off the bus and walk across the road to the clinic. Yep. Um, and spend my afternoons there. And uh, if mum and dad couldn't find me, they'd just ring the clinic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, are you coming home for dinner? Oh, I'll be there soon. <laughs> We're just still doing stuff. I think it's, I mean, it is important that we have this legislation that means that people are not working when they're younger than whatever it is, 14 and nine months, or whatever. Absolutely. But I look back on my childhood and I think it was um, like my parents were like, first day of year seven I was 12 and they're like okay you're now going to have the job that your brother Ben had and before him your brother Tim had you're going to start it this week at the corner shop go in and meet Ben before school and after school and I did an hour before school and an hour after school five days a week from when I was 12 I was like cooking hot chips and burgers and (laughs) making lolly bags and like hovering over a hot plate and people would come in and ask for certain deep fried things that I had no idea what they were like a battered sav or a chico roll I didn't know I'd just grab anything out of the freezer (laughs) fry it wrap it up give to them be like by the time they get home it's not going to be worth walking back for and I love it I think there's a lot of value in having had that childhood where you're like, now I go to work. That's right. I mean, I, the stuff I did after school was volunteer, but I was getting paid on Saturday mornings, you know, Sweet. um, and I was on the books as soon as I could be on the books. Yes. Um, uh, you know, and it was, uh, it was such a great opportunity. Yeah. It just was so, so excellent. And, um, you know, the nurses that I worked with and the vet that I worked with, um, they're lifelong, lifelong friends. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world really. That's, that's awesome. And what did you do? Where was your next step after that initial clinic? Um, so after that I moved to Sydney, so I finished high school, um, and I knew that I wanted, well, I originally wanted to be a vet to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but, I think I was lucky in that I had the opportunity to see what being a vet was like firsthand Mm. for a number of years before I had to make that decision. And Mm -hmm. by by the time I got to year 11 and 12, or probably, yeah, year 11, I'd realised that I wanted to be a vet nurse. Um, Yeah. And so I was fairly solidly dedicated to that. Um, And I toyed with the idea of the zookeeping thing and did some work experience at Taronga and stuff like that in high school. But um, I, by the time I finished high school, I knew that vet nursing was the way to go. So, um, yeah, I finished high school, moved to Sydney and mm-hmm. um, got into uh, nursing, um, my nursing course there, the Cert 4, um, had just started or was just about to start actually. That was the first year they were delivering it. Um, oh, wow. And um, I uh, had lined up a job or had lined up a prac clinic that would take me for prac work before I moved um but then I actually ended up getting a job in a in a cat only practice um mm. uh full-time so and while I did my studies to start with so I did that for 12 months and missed dogs a little bit but um I think the cat only practice really 
taught me some great cat handling skills. <laughs> wow. And I think that that can be the scariest for a lot of people when you start. Yeah. Like for me, I was way more confident with, you know, peeling dogs and restraining dogs than cats because yeah. cats are, um, they're special and yeah, they need <laughs> absolutely skill, you know, skilled handling. So it would have been, you know, would have really put you ahead, I think, to spend a year just working with cats. Yeah. And coming from a rural area where cats I mean, there were cats, but it was mostly dogs, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was it was interesting, but it was also weird because, you know, everything was small and <laughs> there yeah. was, you know, the theatre was tiny and the tables were tiny and the cages oh, were course. tiny. Of course, yeah. It was quite strange, but um, yeah. yeah, so I did that for 12 months and then I had um, – I had the amazing opportunity to start working at um, Sydney Uni Teaching Hospital. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and then I stuck – I was there for almost eight years um, yep. in internal medicine and um, was a nurse manager there for, well, I think maybe six, five of those years. I can't remember. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's been a yeah. while now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which was excellent. I mean, that just uh, completely opened my mind to a whole bunch of – um, new procedures and experiences and teaching and um, really changed the way I saw things, I think. But there was always uh, the country girl inside of me, you know, thinking back to basics and remembering what my um, what my practical initial training taught me as well. So um, mm. it's really good. Yeah, and that, that can be hard to reconcile the two when you're sometimes university teaching facilities are really gold standard and um, people working within them have the liberty or the luxury of more time with each patient and that sort of thing so it can be important to stay grounded with the realities too of general practice and regional general practice and and be able to to know that you've got to tailor your nursing and be be flexible I guess depending on which environment you're in that's it yeah that's right and you know, sometimes I think, you know, it would take you so long to just to do a cat's bay. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the students have got to do all their stuff and things like that. And it's so important, um, all of those things. But I think, you know, at the practice I'm in now, when we can smash through, I don't know, eight desexing procedures in two hours or something or less than that, then it's a totally different, uh, totally yeah. different situation. Yeah, exactly. You know, you I guess being in the uni environment, there were opportunities and, and cases and things that I would never see elsewhere mm. and mm -hmm. um, experiences like going to um, help do hearing tests and CSF taps on tigers at the zoo, you know, that oh, wow. sort of stuff is just, you know, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been doing that if I hadn't have been there. So that was really cool. I was just impressed with hearing tests because <laughs> our hearing tests when we have owners that think their dog can't hear as we like kind of clap near their head. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hearing tests on tigers just yeah. took it to the next level, Jazz. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were the only ones at the time that had the piece of – I'm sure that there are others now, specialist practices that have it, but to do the, the um, Bayer hearing tests and, um, yeah, because – we did that and I had to operate the equipment I got to go, which was great. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, really fun. And how did you get there from there to Port Macquarie? Canberra next, yeah. So, Brr. Um, yeah, so I met my husband uh, actually really early on in my Sydney trip. We were friends for um, quite a while um, through another mutual friend and um, he was 
he was at uni and so when he finished his PhD, he needed to get a job. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the jobs in uh, molecular biology are few and far between oh, um, yeah. as far as postdocs go. So he got a job at ANU. Yeah, in Canberra, which meant we were off to Canberra. Yeah, um, we weren't married at that point, but you know, obviously, <laughs> it had to be done. It was obviously pretty important to you if you were two and a half hours from Batemans Bay to get to the beach. <laughs> yes, and we never went. Like never we hardly went. ever went. He <laughs> promised me that we would go all the time, and we yeah. hardly ever went. Lies. But um, it's okay. I made do. We went swimming in the pools a lot, and yes. Uh, Every chance I had, I would get back up to Sydney or somewhere to the beach and jump in the ocean. Yeah. But um, yeah, Sydney, uh, Canberra was the next um, next trip on the (laughs) on the journey, and it was um, it was a real challenge because I I really loved being in that teaching environment and yeah, um, you know, having all my toys and working with the specialists and and Mm -hmm. things like that. And um, I was uh, I was heading into GP practice again. And um, I was a little nervous as well because I hadn't, I'd been doing GP practice on Saturday mornings while I was in Sydney as well, um, Mm -hmm. just to keep my hand in. But um, I was really nervous about having to do all that routine stuff that I hadn't done for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, it was really great. We were in Canberra for about six years, I think, in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Got married and had two kids down there. And yeah. and then we were, we were supposed to go for two years. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two years turned into six. Um, yeah. But we decided that instead of going back to Sydney before we go up the coast, we would skip the Sydney revisit and um, just head straight up here afterwards. So. Yeah, perfect. And where do you now work in Port Macquarie and what's your role and what are you doing from day to day? Um, I work at Eastport Veterinary Hospital. Mm-hmm. which is a GP practice here in Port. And um, I'm there two days a week um, doing clinical work. Uh-huh. So I pretty much just work out the back um, as, a, as a vet nurse. And um, I, do a, I do some training of the other nurses any chance I get. Um, but, yeah, really I just get stuck into anything I can get my hands on really yeah. um, and get the job done. So yeah, I love it so much. Um, that side of things because the other part of my week is um, being a trainer and assessor. And that's with AIRC, Animal Industries Resource Centre? It is, yeah. Excellent. And so are you training and teaching the Certificate 4 students for AIRC? Yes. Well, anywhere from Cert 2 to um, Diploma. Yeah. Yeah, I do it um, from home and I try and get out as much as I can to assess in person. But yeah having two kids makes it a little tricky at the moment. Yeah, it's a nice balance to have some work you can do from home with kids, um, you know, and I guess that's um, why a lot of people end up doing training and assessing or being like me and going, what can I do? I can have a podcast, yeah. you know, because you, <laughs> right. you're like, oh, they're growing up so fast. I just want to be here for a bit longer. Yeah, 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 it's great. I mean, I've been, again, it was, I think it was because of the uni side of things that I really got interested in teaching. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Teaching the vet students. I used to do like cat handling and dog handling classes and things like that Yeah. Um, for first years and fourth years. And um, I really enjoyed that. And so when I was approached by um, Sue to um, do some workshops and study groups and things like that, um, 
I jumped at the chance yep. to, to have a go. And um, that was almost 15 years ago. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've so, been with them for a long time, yeah. Yeah, all through Sydney and, and um, Canberra and up here. So it's kind of, it's moved with me as I've moved around and I'm really oh, grateful for that. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And of everything that you're doing, what's your favourite thing? I kind of like both parts of my jobs for different reasons, you know. I, yeah. I think they both kind of keep me sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone said to me the other day, oh, it would be so great if you were in the clinic, you know, all week. And I said, I think I would be a very different person if I were in the clinic yeah. all week. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, I do two days at home with my students and, you know, looking after them. And then I do two days in the clinic and each one of them kind of complements each other um, to keep yeah. me happy um, mm. in both of those roles. and Keep you wanting more. Yeah. But, I mean, look, nothing really can um, take away from that sense of achievement when you get through a really heavy, you know, procedure list for the day and mm. everybody's happy and all the patients are good and everything went well and you know all that sort of stuff I do I do really enjoy that side of things yeah I think that balance is really important too as you're saying so that you know I, I used to work six days a week at ready vet and then up until recently I just went back after Eli to doing like one or two you know half days a week even and just would be yeah. like hey guys this is the best <laughs> job ever isn't it <laughs> and, <laughs> no. uh, because you're not there all the time and you're like oh, I, I love being here a lot more now that I'm not here like 40 hours a week plus that's it <laughs> yeah I reckon there's not there's not too many days I don't want to go into the clinic yeah um, that's and- right it's exciting yeah, I, I must admit, and even if I know it's going to be a heavy day, I'm sort of like, okay, that's cool, we've we've got this. Um, yeah, it's almost like it's a bit more pumped, like, come yeah. on guys, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has those days where they're exhausted or tired or unwell or what have you, and you just think, yeah. oh, I've got to get through this. Yeah. But um, I would say 90% of the time I enjoy being there, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that too because – um, so many of us are, are, you know, burnt out or overworked exactly. or yeah. what have you and it's tricky. Um, yeah. How do you set yourself up for the day to stay mentally well and what's your routine when you wake up in the morning? Um, I think, well, with two kids in the house, it can be a bit hectic. Yeah. I um, It depends on the morning really. So um, some mornings I'll get up and do exercise, um, go for a swim, as soon as the pool opens and do some laps and then come home. Um, but more often I, uh, my husband and I have a really, um, I suppose a really set routine, you know, yeah. we each have half an hour to ourselves and then we kind of swap and it's weird that we're so regimented, but I think we're, we're both so <laughs> such organized kind of people. Like nobody's yeah. allowed to mess with the routine, including yeah. the kids. Um, <laughs> you know, so whoever gets the bathroom first, the other person's out there organizing breakfasts and lunch boxes yeah. and stuff. And then nice. once it gets to seven o'clock, then it's like, right, you're out there whether you're ready or not. <laughs> I'm coming into the bathroom. It's my turn now. <laughs> um, and then by 7.30, we're all done and dusted. But it does take us a full hour to kind of get everybody organized for the day. Um, and I must admit, I am way lazier than my husband um, <laughs> in all of that stuff. Um, he's much better at the whole lunchbox packing business. Yeah, But I think... 
you know, just having that, knowing that I've got that half hour to be able to organize myself mm. um, certainly mm-hmm. helps. Yeah. Um, and on the days when I you know, do get to fit in some exercise in the morning, then that's that's also good. So I love that um, concept, actually, of tagging in and out with one another. And um, it doesn't sound odd to me at all because my parents were <laughs> teachers and they the last thing that they wanted to do when they got home from work was, like, deal with me and my brothers because yeah. <laughs> they've been dealing with kids all day. And so they used to set the, the egg timer on the oven. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And when we got home from school, we weren't allowed to talk to them until the egg timer went off. (laughs) (laughs) That is cold. And it it wouldn't be a long time. It might be anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes, depending on what kind of a day they'd had. Um, They would go out on the back veranda with each other and um, like, you know, this is the 80s. So they'd have like a ciggy and a coffee or a ciggy and a wine if it was a bad day and they'd debrief and have a chat and we'd like just stand in the kitchen looking at the oven going oh it's gonna (laughs) ring soon and then (laughs) we'd run out the back and be like I did this today I did that today and then they would give us like their full attention and time but we just didn't question it and later on like I'd go to other friends houses and be like where's the egg timer like yeah are you allowed to talk to your dad? He just walked in the door. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to talk to him. <laughs> That's gold. Yeah. Yes. I so, must admit, yeah. I still do get interrupted by the kids, you know, in that in that yeah. space. But I can be like, look, daddy's out there, you know. <laughs> he can sort you out. Can I just, just give me a minute? But uh, you just got to have that time. It's all about time when you're trying to, trying to be a parent and – Yes. Uh, you know, all of the other things that we're supposed to be. Yes. Um, you know, uh, that time is just so precious. Oh, man, half an hour to yourself is like winning the lottery. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, if we don't tap in and out, then I think we would never get out the door in the morning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my husband is way better at all of that getting rid yeah. of stuff than I am. Good on him. Uh, that's that's awesome to hear. Oh, and yeah. as- aside from tapping out, what other weekly or daily habit makes your life better? Uh, so I a few years ago something kind of snapped in me because I wasn't doing any exercise and I was pretty unhappy with the way that I, um, you know, my fitness levels and things like that. And, um, and so I totally – change that around and I now I'm a person that exercises five six days a week that's Um, awesome yeah even if it's only for 25 minutes you know if that's all I can fit in um then I'll do that so that absolutely makes a difference um to me now um yeah it helps me clear my head it gives me space to think about nothing else but what I'm doing yep which is good um and I think probably one of the other things that I really enjoy is my time at the lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, you know, if I can't get to the lighthouse, then just sitting up on a clifftop with my morning chai watching the waves or the whales <sighs> or the dolphins or oh whatever. Oh, my um, God. Stop it. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Ever since we moved back up here, that's um, that's been my my peace I guess and yeah um, sometimes when the kids were younger I used to take them too but um, now that they're both in school it's so great because I can drop them off grab my chai drive up to the lighthouse and just sit on that hilltop and watch the water and the birds and whatever else is around and just have a bit of peace 
Um, it's good that you had really nice. two really um, instant kind of antidotes to um, the madness of life because I know that um, not only did you become president of the VNCA in uh, April of 2019, but I know for the, oh, I don't know how long prior, but I'm going to say yeah. a year or more prior, you had a crazy, crazy busy time in the lead up to Avnat. Like that must have yeah. nearly burnt you out on so many occasions. How did you manage with that? Um, I think, oh, look, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, it was about 12 months um, yeah. or longer, I think. I've I've been volunteering with the VNCA now for I think about 11 years or something wow. either on national local you know state division or or yeah. um, on the board yeah. and registration was something that I've always believed in and mm-hmm. it's something I've been talking about for at least 10 years and the VNCA itself have been talking about for 20 plus years mm. um, and yeah it was a really hectic 12 months in the lead up to launch Mm-hmm. Um, lots of meetings, lots of paperwork. <laughs> um, mm. But it was so important to me that we pull it off, mm-hmm. that nothing else mattered. I was so, I think I was so focused on the end game that, and we're not done yet. When I say end game, I mean mm. getting it happening. But um, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> trying to think of a way that I coped but I I'm not sure that I did at times um chai and whale watching and running <laughs> between I'm yeah. sure you know did wonders absolutely yeah that sort of stuff is you know it is certainly the things that get me by and you know all the other stuff even just going down the beach with my family that's yeah that's something that keeps me sane and getting yep. in the water and you know that first dive under a wave oh, just the clears the cobwebs yep. out like you wouldn't yep. believe in it yeah um the, the other girls on the board make fun of me because i fessed up um to trish and anita who were new on um that i always take my swimmers with me everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and um, they're like what do you mean and i said i take my swimmers with me everywhere like wherever i go my swimmers yeah. are in the bottom of my bag because you just never know when you could yes. get a swim in yes um I'm with and you. i'm the first person to you know hit the beach or or um a pool or anything just to get in the water yeah um, and uh, I may have been known for skiving off at a VNCA conference once to go on water slides in the lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have a meeting to <laughs> go to, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I come back with wet hair. Like, where have you been? Um, on the water slides, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm just, that's my problem too. And when I was at the Wasava conference in Bangkok, I left one lunch break too to go just jump in the rooftop hotel pool yes. that we're staying in and I met Matt like around afternoon tea and he's like, why is your hair wet? Have you been at the pool? I'm like, yes, just yeah. for lunchtime. <laughs> just getting in the water, it just renews everything. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it, it always makes me feel better. I like um, that too. And I have to get in any body of water. Like yeah. it, it might be a dam, yeah. uh, you know, I'll be like, is that a dam in your paddock? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is I'm it just... just me or are we all getting in? And yeah, like, yeah, it's just right. you. Yeah. I've been, I've been that person, <laughs> the only one like, well, I'm getting in. I don't care what you guys are doing, but I'm having a swim. <laughs> Especially the beach. Yeah. It's got to mm. be done. But yeah. yeah, the Avnat year was, was big one, but yeah. so much more work to be done. 
Yeah, and I want to touch on that um, a a bit further through and where we're at with the figures, even though they're not going to be quite up to date for when the episode goes to air. But while we're touching on strange habits um, that I may or may not share with you of getting in water at any any possible opportunity, do you have any other strange habits or superstitions? Well, I was thinking about this one, actually, (laughs) because I couldn't – and I couldn't think of anything to start with, but um, the, uh, the girls at work make fun of me. I mean, we all know that you don't say the Q word on a Friday, yep. right? So that's one mm-hmm. thing. But um, but the girls make fun of me that whenever I take x-rays, I do this weird thing with my foot. Oh. <laughs> and when I call out x-ray, I like twist my foot out. to the, And they all make fun of me now whenever I do it. So now I'm really <laughs> conscious of not doing it. <laughs> what do you think the foot's trying to do? I don't know. <laughs> don't know it must they reckon it's like a little hip hop foot thing you know and I go x-ray and I'm, I said I don't do that and then they catch me doing it I'm like damn it I'm doing it are you trying to shield or something like that do you think <laughs> no I don't know I'm outside the room oh, I don't know it's wow. a yeah so that, that was sort of the only thing that I could think of there really you can always <laughs> trust your co-workers to pick up on the weird stuff that you do and then just absolutely bag you yeah that's it but it's fun <laughs> yeah that's right yeah we rely on people like you who do funny little hip hops for x-rays or <laughs> sometimes right. the day would be really boring let's yeah that's it. right who else would they make fun of <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant now can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that's positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory yeah i can um a capnograph Oh, yes. And a third syringe driver. Oh, <laughs> they're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I think they're the two things that I've been really grateful for um, mm. in the last little bit. Um, and the syringe driver arrived and I didn't even know it was there. And then I was like, what's this box? And like, oh, I think that's the new syringe driver. I'm like, it's the new what now? Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. I'm tearing it out of the box. Um, yeah. So yeah, that I think syringe drivers make a massive difference to to what we're doing and you know, if we run out, we have one that's quite old, you know, yeah. and it doesn't do decimal places, which is annoying, but it's okay yeah. if you just want to run whole mills in. So um, are you doing CRIs or administering tick serum or what are you mainly using them for? Yeah, CRIs um during surgery. Yeah. Um and so like your ketamine or you know, fentanyl, lignocaine, ketamine, CRIs for pain relief. Um, And then, yeah, we do use it in tick season. Although in saying that, you know, last tick season was nowhere near as heavy as it normally was because Mm -hmm. of all the um, The great preventatives. guards and brevectos and Mm -hmm. out there and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a totally different ball game this year. But, um, yeah, things like that we'll still use it for. Yeah. But mostly for pain relief, to be honest. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it just, you know, if you've got a few big things going on, because we don't use them for every single surgery, mm. um, it's sort of off anything that's non-routine and um, things that we can't handle with our regular pain relief regimes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I often would think that they would be really handy for giving tick serum because we're in a crazy tick area and we've seen a huge yeah. um, decrease as well, but we still get those patients and they need really close monitoring while you're administering the anti-serum because it is a blood product. But if you're like, yeah. we're manually pushing it too. So yeah. like if you're trying to push, you know, 15 mil or whatever, um, just like a tiny bit at a time, but then you're also trying to be doing constant TPRs. Sometimes That's you're it. like, oh, 
don't know if yeah. I should be pushing this a bit faster or, <laughs> yeah. you know, so um, I think you could really just focus on the monitoring if you were not, you know, pushing as well. So we, we've, we've nearly bought one a few times, yeah. but um, man, we keep buying new toys. <laughs> like I keep interviewing people and going, Matt, yep. <laughs> so-and-so we reckons this. we need this. <laughs> and then I'm like, where's all our money? Where- <laughs> yeah, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, syringe like- drivers are a game changer, I reckon. They are. Oh, they do, and and that for that exact reason, I love them for that reason. You know, I can mm. just focus on my patient, but yep. you know, critical patients, it uh, it makes a difference. But are, um, are you guys open like twenty four hours or late? Like, because um, for, but I guess you're just doing your CRIs in surgery, because otherwise, yeah. when you're doing CRIs, you need people constantly sort of monitoring them so there'd be some things that um that they would be able to use them for in 24-hour centers but we can't yeah. so much in a gp setting yeah we we're only a we're only a gp um regular hour kind of practice so yep. um we close at you know um we're not open late um, yeah we close at around six six ish mm-hmm. um hopefully all going well mm-hmm. <laughs> all going well mm-hmm. we close at six yeah. um and we're not open on sundays just saturday mornings yeah but um we do still run like a say a ketamine cri overnight yeah. in combination yeah. with what with fluids on yep. those post-op patients yeah yeah um but we don't run anything else that would need monitoring, no. Yeah. Um, and yeah. usually those patients, we know where they're at and what rate they need and things like that because yeah. we've been looking at them all day. So we're kind of comfy with the um, the dose that they're on and all that sort of stuff. But I'll have to keep, put it back on the list because we want another fluid pump as well. But yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed how expensive f- fluid pumps and syringe pumps are. Like some oh, things you think will be really expensive, but they're not that expensive. And other things you like – Oh, why do you cost so much? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, the the capnograph that I mean, they're ridiculously expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got a little portable one, and um, you know, three three grand. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's I remember cheap. when I was doing my cert four, though, my teacher said of um of all monitoring in surgery, she thinks that capnography is the most important. So, yeah. um, it's a really good parameter to have um if you can. Yeah. But it's also something that terrifies people because yep. they don't understand it. Yeah. And I think just getting people to understand how it works, and it's actually quite straightforward once you get the hang of it. Yeah. But it takes a little bit of practice because it's kind of backwards, if that makes mm. sense, because mm-hmm. you're talking about expiration, whereas every other thing when you're doing ventilation, it's all about inspiration. Mm. Um, and so – you know, when you're looking at the actual graph, you need to remember that that's the expiration rather than the inspiration. And yeah, um, the numbers are kind of backwards to what your brain would normally expect them to be. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. But, and uh, Lou, the vet nurse, does a lot of amazing work in explaining capno- capnography to people yes. and trying to remove that fear around it. So that's yeah, it. it's I think it, there's a lot of there are there are a lot of resources on social media and and online for people that that are a bit scared of it. Um, learn yeah. to love love your capnograph, as Lou yes. says. We need to love them. I mean, we've got one, but I still come into theatre, and if any of my nurses are listening, they'll know who I'm talking about. And I still come to <laughs> and they haven't hooked it up I'm like come on guys, <laughs> hook it up you've guys, got it there let's didn't use it pay three grand for this for to use it as a paperweight guys <laughs> like right. hook it up don't be scared it's okay and the yeah. more we use it the more comfortable people get with yeah. it yeah well they're both um great purchases um and are you able to think of a time as well in your career that you've been able to turn defeat into victory this could be in a personal or professional capacity 
I've been struggling with this ever since you sent me the questions, Kat. (laughs) Um, And because I can't think of any one particular case or something like that, for example. Um, But I think for me personally, um, moving to Canberra at the time that I moved to Canberra, I was – I really – didn't want to go and everybody who knew me at that time and that I talked to they they knew how desperately I didn't want to go including my husband who said I was only allowed to whinge about it for a certain number of times and then I had to stop (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think it was there was a whole raft of reasons for that but I was nervous about going back into GP practice and I was nervous about potentially losing skills that I had built whilst working in a specialist environment and Um, I was really, really um, happy to have the opportunity to work in a practice that did not allow me to do that. Um, And in fact, I grew my skills rather than um, lost them. Mm. And I was able to grow them in areas that I hadn't had the opportunity to grow them in. So things like dentistry and um, nurse consults and Mm -hmm. um, stuff that I hadn't done for a while. My, my, x-ray skills my x-ray positioning uh skills were vastly improved because i had been working with a radiographer who would position them all for me Mm. um and then all of a sudden i was in a practice where i had to do them myself (laughs) and i was forced um in a good way to relearn some of those skills and also to Mm. learn new skills and instead of it being a thing where i felt like i was not going to grow anymore because i i felt in a way that i would be going backwards Mm. um when I first made the move, it actually was not a backwards move at all. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I also met some amazing people that have become lifelong friends in Canberra mm-hmm. um, that I wouldn't I wouldn't um, have passed that up for the world. So from, from a person who, when we got the phone call, was in <laughs> tears, <laughs> um, if I'm honest, I spent a long time crying about leaving Aww. Sydney and going to Canberra um, yeah. because I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't face it but yeah. in the end I then did the same thing when I left because yeah. I, was, I was leaving such a great experience behind so yeah um, yeah these big changes are really traumatic and and yeah that you you can look at it and be like oh this is going to ruin my career it is it is a defeat but um, I think this yeah. is a perfect example Jazz I don't know why you were so worried about answering this question <laughs> it's a perfect example of defeat into victory and it was um, yeah. so good that you stayed there for six years yeah well I did have a I did have a kid or in the middle of that <laughs> so I guess I had a year <laughs> off um, in the meantime and. Uh, you know, but, um, yeah, it was, it was really great. Um, and I, I, it has shaped me, um, you know, all of those things along the way have shaped me into the vet nurse that I am today. Yeah. And I think without any one of the experiences that I've had so far, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm currently doing. So, which I'm very happy about. (laughs) Well, that's a lovely, um, note, I think to head off to a a really quick break. Are you happy if we come back? Yeah, that sounds great. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilking. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilking contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilking probably won't help these, but it works well for many pets in stressful situations. Worth a try, right? 
Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from you, if you like. You can help too by scoring yourself some eco-friendly and oh-so-chic Radio Vet Nurse merch. Head to my website, radiovetnurse.com, and check out my glass-reusable coffee keep cup. I've also got a lightweight, shatter-resistant glass water bottle. All with Radio Vet Nurse logo, so we know we're in the club. Wink, wink. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Jazz. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it would be to be uh, open to different um, workplaces that mm-hmm. you may not have considered before. Um, I guess some people sort of get stuck in their head exactly where they want to be. Um, but, you know, if someone's willing to give you an opportunity, I think grab it with both hands mm. and don't look back. Mm-hmm. Um I think one of the things that I always found, you know, managing all the work experience kids, mm-hmm. um, don't send your mum along to talk to the practice manager. No, <laughs> Do I it know. yourself. Yeah, you know? it's not a good look. Do it yourself. Have the guts. That is the first step to um, to sticking it out in a vet practice. You know? Yeah. You need to be brave and you need to put aside that nervousness and put yourself mm. out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that is the big one for me. And in fact, when I was managing that um, in Canberra, I actually refused to speak to any parents at all. <laughs> um, the parents rang me up, I said, oh, that's great. How about when your daughter or son or whoever, how about they give me a call and then we'll have a conversation. Yeah, um, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably the main things, you know, take those opportunities when they come up. Mm. Um and I know sometimes it can obviously be very hard because it's so much harder now to get into this industry than it ever was mm. um, because you need experience to get the experience, mm-hmm. don't you? Um, and I think, yeah, and even for people that, that do want to get into the industry, as you're saying, don't send, don't let your parents go in and bat for you, go on yourself, but also like um, making a, a good impression and asking questions and everything like you going yeah. in with your guinea pig. Um, I also <laughs> tried to get a job at the local vet surgery as a child, but um, yeah. rather than going in and asking all the right, all the right questions like you did, um, I went in with my mum and our dog, um, Bubba. Yeah. who had mange and she the vet did like a, a skin scrape or whatever it was and um, went out the back to the lab and found that it was mange and came back to get my mum and was like look at this under the microscope it's really interesting yeah. oh, cool. got my mum and left I like fainted oh. <laughs> from watching the skin <laughs> scrape oh well Fainting is fine. I faint all the time, actually. Do you? Yep, all the time. Um, and again, the girls at work, if they ever listen to this, they will laugh their heads off because not that long ago they had to pull me by my gown strings uh, to stop me from falling into a patient's chest. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it from what you're seeing or just blood pressure or what makes you faint? I have no idea, but I've done it since the very beginning. So the very first surgery I was about to witness was a cat yeah. castrate. And uh, the incision hadn't even been made and I hit the deck. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was like 12 or something, but still I hit the deck. And then from then on, there was a chair in theatre 
that was my chair. That's the jazz chair, guys. Don't it move it. It was the jazz chair and I used that <laughs> chair the whole time I worked in that practice, so all wow. the way through high school. And it actually is now my desk chair. Um, wow. When I left there, um, Gav, they gave he, it uh, to you. he gave me my chair. <laughs> I painted it purple and it's now my office desk chair. Wow. Um, and it's the chair I used to sit on in theatre. <laughs> That's amazing that you've pushed through that because you really – you can lose face when you faint, like yeah. as a fellow fainter. And yeah. I don't know if you heard Janet's interview, it's classic that <laughs> she did her first surgery and she fainted and the vet stopped surgery and was holding her legs in the air. But you know when you wake up from fainting, you don't know yes. that you've fainted. Yes. So she was just like, What's going why on? are you holding my legs? <laughs> it's insane. It's so insane. Oh, I know. Oh. Oh, the fainting is hard. I, I think it's because when I it happens when I stand still yeah. for for too long. So if I'm doing things, I could be yeah. in a you know three or four hour orthopedic surgery doing mm-hmm. stuff and I'm mm-hmm. fine. If I'm standing yeah. there holding an abdomen open or holding something yeah. in place for half an hour, I just want to hit the deck. Yeah. And <laughs> and I try really hard to catch myself before that happens. But it's a bit of a joke at work now because I'm like, you know, I'm just going to pass out, right? <laughs> you, Don't point her at the me. sterile field, guys. She's yeah. going to face plant She's into gonna it. She's going to hit the deck. <laughs> and I've been, but I've been doing it forever, you know. Yeah. And I think when I was at uni, I, I worked in medicine, so I was never scrubbed in. But I yeah. do remember once very distinctly having to leave that theatre and sort of crashing into the door frame on my way out as I kind of collapsed on the floor <laughs> halfway out. And I wasn't even – I wasn't even um, – it wasn't even anything exciting. I think it was, I don't know, but it's not about the blood and guts because yeah. I can, you know, I can see all kinds of things. Yeah. It doesn't worry me at all. I think it's the standing still. Something yeah. physiologically happens to me and I just hit the deck. So if I'm moving yeah. around, I'm all good. <laughs> I feel I feel you on that because and I um, instinctively, like I know I'm kind of get going in that direction if I start kicking my legs up behind yeah. me because it's something that I do without thinking to try and pump the blood around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I've been standing still too long and I was scrubbed in with Matt once um, on a, I think it was a carpal arthrodesis and I was the same. I was like, oh God, I feel like I'm going to faint, but I've been yeah. fine with like blood and gore and everything for ages now. Why is this yeah. happening? But I think it was because like you said, I'd been standing still yeah. um, and the pressure of not moving. And if you've naturally got a bit of low blood pressure, maybe. So but I love I a know. skilled fainter that can point themselves at the door frame and fall in that <laughs> direction. <laughs> I think the diaphragmatic hernia one recently was probably the worst one because it happened so quickly. And oh. we had maybe a couple of stitches to go before um, we were finished. And yeah. uh, I just, I just couldn't stop it and I yeah. sort of said to the vet I said I think I'm gonna f-, and I think that's as far as I got yeah and the next yeah. minute I know I was sort of on the floor yeah and um and the girls had literally had to pull me back by my gown strings oh. <laughs> and I was apparently fighting them as I went down um <laughs> to stop but uh you know we had no options so I I sort of got over it, got yeah. out, re-scrubbed back in and we finished the surgery because yeah. we had to finish so there was no option. But, yeah, um, I've done that too. Just I've a been, short delay. <laughs> yeah, I've done that too. I've been helping Matt before and just like this was in the very early days and I was just flushing a wound or something with him and I was like, okay, I'm going to faint and just had to walk out in the hallway, lay myself yeah. down, faint, wake up, splash some water on my face, popped a fruit box, sucked some juice, went back in. I'm like, right, do you need more flush? <laughs> 
<laughs> you just sometimes have to suck it up, don't you? Because you, you do. don't have an option not to. Yeah, but you're good to know to even get to. I'm. I think I'm gonna f- because yeah. I. I usually say that when I'm coming to. <laughs> I'll open my eyes and look at someone and go. I think I'm going to faint. Okay, yeah. just so you know, yeah. like you are on the floor, cat. It's done. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think over the years I've become quite skilled at the pre-fainting preparation. That's right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And I'm and I'm ready for it. But you know, I think for new nurses coming in, don't let the fainting put you off. You know, because hey, the the I've president of the VNCA is a fainter. I've just figured out. And Janet, the immediate past president, I you know, know, had her legs held in the air by a vet on her first surgery. <laughs> so exactly right. You are in good company. If you are a fainter, do not be feeling like you need to leave this industry. No way. Don't let it hold you back. It is not the end game. It is, uh, it is just the beginning and you can push through it. Oh, my face is painful from, from laughing at this. It's ridiculous. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I can't even, they hadn't even made the incision on that very first cat yeah. straight and I hit the deck. In my defense, it was really hot summer. Yeah. And the theater was really hot, you know, because yeah. it was... Uh, out the back and I that was that's what I'm saying anyway I'm sticking to it but yeah um, yeah and like you see people faint like that at weddings and at funerals when it's just because they're standing still for ages so um yeah yeah, it's not all it's not all about the blood and the gore sometimes it's just (laughs) (laughs) standing still and a bit of pressure and yeah a bit of heat so or if someone says hey are you feeling hot and you go Uh, no I'm not feeling hot are you feeling hot well, maybe I am feeling hot. <laughs> and then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm feeling really hot <laughs> in all of this stuff. That's right. Yeah. In layers yeah. and layers of things. And I think yeah. sometimes the anxiety too of like, I am holding the insides of an animal together yeah. and I I cannot face plant into the sterile that's field, right. even though that's I think right. I'm about, okay, no, I'm going to. <laughs> I got you. There's nothing that's going to stop that from happening. <laughs> Help me now. <laughs> Look, having a good support network around you that understands your fainting is is also useful. <laughs> just be honest. Just be honest yeah. with the team. Guys, I'm a fainter. This is what yeah. you should do if it happens. Yeah. That's right. Well, this episode has taken an unexpected turn. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Into fainting management. Oh, dear. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, I better get to the next question. Oh, yes. I could stick on this topic all day. I know. Um, what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Uh, I have these guys all the time, um, my lovely students uh, that I look after. Yeah. Um, I think I think time management is key. Mm-hmm. So if you're a scheduler, then schedule your week and, and schedule the fun stuff in as well. So not just the I've got to study here, I've got to study there, but you know, when are you going to watch TV or when are you going to go out with your mates? Because then you don't feel guilty about doing those fun things Mm. and you can also then fully commit and be present when you're supposed to be studying. Um, That's one of the things that I often talk to my students about. But the other thing is that I think um, they need to do is um, when you're studying is not get bogged down in the stuff you can't do. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, if they're trying to do an assignment or whatever and they just can't work out one particular area, they sometimes people just stop and they go, mm. oh, it's just too hard mm-hmm. and I can't, I'll deal with that later. But then they don't because it's now gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think yeah. biting off bite-sized chunks to deal with at a time, you know, just answer one question of the assignment, just mm. one bit and mm-hmm. deal with that, you know, mm-hmm. before you move on to the next bit. Or if you're stuck with that, 
just ignore that for a minute and come yeah. back to it. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. And ask for help. Yeah, so I think I think asking for help is is one thing that they sometimes shy away from as well and finding that person within their workplace that's going to support them and be a sounding board, Yeah, you know, someone that's going to read their assignments, their mentor that will help them through. And yeah. I mean, I was so lucky to have such a wonderful mentor throughout my studies, mm-hmm. um, my cert for that. Um, I don't think I could have done it without her, but also um, I had another colleague who was doing her, we were doing it at the same time and, and having that support was also a huge, a huge help too. Yeah, those are beautiful relationships. Like our um, one of our junior nurses is nearly finished and she went in or she told me the other day like, oh, I recorded my last videos on Saturday morning and I knew she wasn't working on Saturday and I knew Matt wasn't working. Our vet, Dr. Sophie, was on. So then I said to Sophie like, did you go in and meet her early yeah. to do the videos on Saturday? And she's like, yeah. And it's just like, oh, that's just so nice. Like, yeah you know, on your day that you're already going into work on a Saturday just to rock up a, an hour or two earlier to to help someone film their videos and that sort of thing. So I think um, the mentors really do um, deserve a shout out for all oh, that help that they provide. Huge shout out. It's it's such a it's such a um, important role to play um, with a student. And, yep. and, you know, just having someone that will give you that bit of extra time. Yeah, you know. yeah. To, to help you along with your studies, show you things or answer those questions and, and without judgment, you know. But, I mean, all questions are good questions anyway. Um, yep. And I think that we need to be, you know, the rest of us in practice with students in there, we need to be understanding of that as well, that yeah. there is no silly question. They're all really good questions because if it helps someone to learn, then that's the important thing. Yep. I love juniors who ask questions. It makes me... Um confident that they are actually doing their studies yes exactly <laughs> and I think that mapping things out and um you know making a timetable like you spoke about is really important and I know we have one of our nurses studying with AIRC and Taylor helps her make like a timeline which is oh, is yeah. great because you can see how it's all going to relate to the end game like of the finishing date Um, and I'm always harping on about like if she's falling behind I'm always like well you can't fall behind because you know the harder subjects are at the end so if anything you need more time at the end and that's why this has all been mapped out for you and you really need to stick to these dates and so um, I think that those you you can kind of see that in hindsight when you've been there especially if you've left stuff to the last minute and felt the pressure of that you can see how important it is to stick to a timetable so I agree plan out what you were doing and when you are doing it that's it yeah all that stuff has a knock-on effect exactly the pushing aside Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I'm the queen of putting stuff aside and leaving (laughs) it to the last minute (laughs) you know I'm kind of a do as I say not as I do kind of teacher that's exactly it (laughs) I know I'm like don't leave stuff to the last minute I know because that is how I do everything yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's not a happy place to be (laughs) it's not it's not yeah and are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information I think one of the things that I still see floating around are high fluid rates Mm -hmm. in surgery Mm -hmm. Um, that's certainly something that's still kicking around and Mm. we really need to be mindful of avoiding fluid overload Um, yeah particularly with cats yeah but I think also on the flip side 
I find sometimes then people get scared of increasing that fluid rate when you actually need to. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, guys, remember we used to do 10 mils per kilo per hour? If you've gone yeah. from three to five, it's no yeah. biggie. You don't freak <laughs> or if you're out. going from five to 10 mils per kilo per hour for a little bit, you know, we're not going to have a major disaster here. Yeah. That used to be the standard. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that one's still kicking around. And I think the other one is that I sometimes see or hear of is, you know, just pounding on the chest a little bit to check if that um, cuff is done up properly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's just give him a good old shove. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, can we just do up the ET tube cuff nicely and, you know, listen as we give a breath and, you know, all those sorts of things. But That's a game changer because um, when we first opened, Matt used to, like, we used to inflate the cuff and then, like, I, I never knew how he was doing it, but but I would be like, is that enough? And he would kind of just squeeze the like the little cushion bit that's hanging out. Oh yeah, um, yep. yeah. And and I and then I was like, how is he how is he assessing that? And then yeah. I'd keep asking questions, and then eventually I was like, you know, I call BS on this. <laughs> and and yeah. then um and then I went to you know a, a conference or something and learned that um you really just need to listen. You need to listen yeah. for you know put your ear right down and ventilate yeah and say stop when you you know when you can't hear the air coming out anymore but if you're not doing that then you could be causing um trauma to the trachea and we actually found that we were needing to put far less air in to inflate the cuff so um, if you're not doing that that is a game changer yeah absolutely and how do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue and if you feel overwhelmed about life or work what do you do um, I think, well, exercise was obviously one that I, mm. that I do. My husband will sometimes sort of say to me, can you just go outside and do some exercise, please? <laughs> <laughs> just go away. Now. You're cranky and you need to go out there. Um, yeah. uh, and obviously my lighthouse slash beach action certainly helps. But yeah. I think um, having something completely outside of work, and I mean completely outside of it, you yeah. know, um, really really helps uh whether it be catching up with friends or whatever um yeah i've been you know since the kids were born i've been you know getting into sewing a little bit so it's like a nice little creative outlet for me to kind of teach myself how to do things and yeah um so you're actually fine for book week Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I think, yeah, we're getting there. I think I have been planning for like a week yeah. <laughs> to yeah, make yeah. sure that it goes okay. But, um, yeah, something like that I, I find good. Um, obviously, a good Netflix binge is helpful. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't but, know what um, we did before Netflix. I know, right? But uh, I think from a compassion fatigue perspective, uh, it's so hard to pinpoint what it is that I do and why I don't get as affected as I probably used to. I think yeah. it's, I think it just comes with experience and, yeah. and understanding, I think putting myself in somebody else's shoes, empathy, um, having that empathy, understanding why the client may be making decisions that they're making yeah. that you don't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I think being in a, from a rural situation where 
you know, treatment options were not always there. And so euthanasia was always a valid treatment option. And yeah. I still think that it is always yeah. a valid treatment option. Absolutely. Um, and I think trying to be as practical as you can about that. Yeah is is helpful yeah um i absolutely have patients that i still get attached to um you know and there was just one the other day that i left work and i was constantly thinking about him and you know i sort of messaged the nurse that was on the next day and i said how did he go yeah and he didn't go very well and i sort of sat there on the couch thinking oh that's such a shame he was such a lovely dog with such lovely owners and yeah that's really hard but um, but the reality is that we did everything that we could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with uh, understanding compassion fatigue and, and trying to uh, get around it, I think it comes to understanding that we, we are doing everything we can for our patients. And, yeah. and I feel like so long as I feel like we have done everything that we possibly can, um, and whether that be medically or within what the client wants to do exactly because it's just so important to understand where they're coming from as well Mm, Um, mm -hmm. and but you know I mean the way around that for me to to stop myself from sort of I guess you know going down that spiral thing and getting upset about it I, I you know I sort of had to look at it quite practically and think yes it's really really sad that we lost him but we did everything that we absolutely could do to help yeah. him we made yeah. him as comfortable as we could and we yeah. supported the client as well because mm. it's about them and and what what they need and yet it's not the worst thing in the world to still feel for these patients too after so much no. time and to still feel for the owners too I think it's that's part of what makes us human really that's it and having that debrief I think helps yeah. as well yeah you know debriefing with your colleagues about something that didn't go great yeah. is really important to understanding why and and I think also you know sometimes we we did absolutely everything we could and other times we yeah. can learn from those experiences and yeah. I actually really find that useful you know if ever there's a a resuscitation that occurs or a situation yeah. that occurs I always make sure that we debrief within the team because yeah. it's crucial to learning and understanding you know, even if yeah. we couldn't have saved that patient in this instance, is there anything yeah. we could have improved on for next time that may help the next one? It's um, super important. I've been trying to incorporate M&Ms into our staff meeting yeah. after my interview with Arnhill. And yeah. one thing that I ha- have incorporated, um, you know, we've been doing for over a year that Joe told me about. I don't think she told me about it in her interview. Yeah. I think it just came up on, on another occasion. But at the beginning of the staff meeting, we read out the, it sounds really morbid, but we read out a euthanasia re- report yep. um, of, you know, patients that have um, been euthanized from the previous staff meeting to this staff meeting because yep. sometimes you're not working that day and yeah. um, you might run into that owner down at the shops and be oh. like, hey, how's Maxie? Or, yep. or or it just might be one of those patients that, like you say, has gotten under your skin over the years and you're bonded with them and um, it's important to know and to have an opportunity to debrief and we had a staff meeting this just this week and yeah. a name was read out and I was like, what? What happened yeah. there? Because it was like, you know, a four-year-old, um, you know, dog that had been healthy every time I had known it and a lovely owner, like you said. And so yeah. it's important, I think, to get that news sometimes in a, in, a, in a supportive environment with your team where you can debrief and chat. So, yeah. Absolutely. It goes away to understanding and, and that support network is, is crucial. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think, you know, one of the other things I think you said, you know, what do you do when you're overwhelmed, was it? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes go and hide out the back (laughs) (laughs) and take those moments. Um, Rosie Overfield always, you know, she always talks about finding space in the moment. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I, I try really hard to do. And I do it at home as well, as best I can. I'm not very yeah. good at that with my kids, but at work, if I feel overwhelmed or whatever, you know, go to the bathroom and just yeah breathe for a minute. Yeah, that's right. The physical, physical space is so symbolic of mind space. And, you know, I do that too, even just at home, if I'm overwhelmed by parenting or anything, yeah. like just change it up. I'll be like, right, we're going to go get some afternoon tea at a cafe or we're going to go get in the car and go to the shop and get milk and have a walk at the park across from the shops like just a bit of physical or as you say at work you're limited but you can go to the bathroom and say I'm gonna have some time by myself you can always like say to people I just have to tap out I'll be out in the yard for 10 minutes gonna hang some washing out (laughs) just gonna go hang some washing out I'll be back in a minute (laughs) just gonna go pop myself on the oxygen guys I'll be right back (laughs) yeah exactly that's it what do you think is the main area of our industry that needs intent that attention or improvement oh I I mean and I know that other other people have talked about this as well Um, the mental health crisis that's that's you know I suppose shaking our industry at the moment Mm, is is huge um and I think I think it requires constant attention yeah um it's when I entered the industry it, it didn't even seem to be a thing but then I think back to that time and it wasn't even a thing that was talked about generally either um and i'm really pleased that we are talking about it and that that conversation is happening but Mm. it it really does need a bit more work and and um you know the more support that we can give one another the better you know whether it be attending mental health first aid courses so that we are better equipped to to support our colleagues and it doesn't mean by fixing the problem but knowing mm. how to direct them to somewhere where they can can get help. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think building resilience within the workplace and, mm-hmm. um, you know, understanding, I think sometimes we want it all to be perfect all the time. Mm. Um, and it's not. <laughs> That's mm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm getting a little bit older now so I can think in this way. But... Um, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So how can you improve the space that you're in? I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not great and you do need to get out and that is a totally different thing altogether. But Mm. um, if you genuinely enjoy the people that you work with and you feel like you have a, you know, a pretty decent team there, if something's not right, then then be proactive and, Mm. and think about ways you can, improve your your situation you know that's right because most people would be open to it I find yeah and I mean culture and having a group of people working together and working like you know right on top of each other and in each other's space and um that sort of thing all the time that's going to require effort and consideration and it won't always run smoothly and sometimes you're going to have to say could we sit down and have a coffee one day and have a chat about this thing that I feel like is going on? Yeah. And you might need to say, you know, th- this is an issue that's creating tension. I don't know if you've noticed, it, yeah. you know, whether that be between you and them or between the whole team. So you do, you, yeah. I, I agree, you kind of have to, rather than just um, be a victim to it, say, well, can we fix this? 
Yeah, that's it. How do we fix it? You know, think about solutions rather than yeah. problems, but also deal with the things that you can deal with, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, you sort of sit in those team meetings where everyone's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, it gets so busy and, and we just can't, you know. And I said, well, you can't ever stop the emergencies from walking through the door and you can't yeah. stop the dental that was supposed to be an hour that turned into a four-hour ordeal. Yeah. Um, you can't change those things from happening. So what are the things that you can actually change that would yeah. alleviate the pressure on those situations? Exactly. Know? And there is so there are so many variables, you know, well, are people having lunch breaks at that time of day? Can we yeah. not have lunch breaks at that time of day? Can we make sure they're over and done with or done earlier or done That's later? It. Or how many hands have we got on deck? Or are we yeah. letting in non-urgent things? Should we block out so that you can cannot have routine things happening there? So yeah. I, I agree there's, you can always look at the situation and go, how can we make this less messy that's it yeah but yeah resilience for me is a big one I think you know yeah. um, if we can build resilience within our teams and within ourselves that certainly helps well it's been awesome chatting to you and I really wish we could have done this interview closer to um, <laughs> April <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I will not be in a headspace in uh, February <laughs> or March to be doing anything um, that requires uh, my brain unfortunately absolutely uh, not. <laughs> from previous experience of having a baby I know I'm kind of useless for six months yeah um, so I think we all are aren't we <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, oh I have it on good authority from a lot of people that it's not just me. So <laughs> no, it's definitely not you. I feel like I'm still useless. <laughs> My eldest is eight. <laughs> yeah, but keeping in mind that it's only August now, I'm yeah. just keen to touch base with you on how Avnat is going, how the the rollout yeah. is going. How have you been finding um, the first uh, half of your year as president of the VNCA, yeah. um, and also just to um, give a quick shout out to the fact that the conference um, will be on in Melbourne this month. I really hope I can get down to it. I just don't know. Um, what do people need to know about that as well? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'll try my best to answer go. all of those things. I know, right, ready, go. Um, Avnat, I'll, I'll kick off there. Um, yeah. It's it's been wonderful. The, the response that we've had from our industry has been phenomenal. Uh, so yeah, bearing in mind that it is August, uh, yeah. two weeks ago, we kicked over the 500 mark, Awesome. which is just, it actually brings tears to my eyes, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, it's such, it's been such a lifelong career dream of mine to, to get recognition for veterinary nurses and the role that they play, yeah. um, out there both to our industry and the public. And I feel like this is going such a long way to getting people to understand what it is that we do mm. and how we fit in um, in the large scheme of things. Mm -hmm. So having having 500 veterinary nurses and technicians commit to registering um, is just so heartwarming and so wonderful. It's, it's yeah. excellent. And also having the practices um, support us. Um, I do know that we have had a number of practices sign up all of their nurses in one go. That's amazing. Um, and it is amazing. It's just so lovely to see that the vets and the practice managers and the bosses are seeing the value in having their nurses commit to continuing education and yes. commit to constantly bettering themselves. Yeah. But also happy to shout out and give them that recognition that they deserve mm, for the work mm -hmm. that they're already doing, you know? Mm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's really, that's really excellent. Um, 
we we have been working and will continue to work on uh, the mandatory side of things. I know a lot of people always ask us these questions and I'm sure that even when this goes to air, those questions will still be out there mm. um, as to what we're doing and when it's going to be mandatory and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take a while, guys. Yep. <laughs> Just yeah. saying, everybody, it's going to take a while. It's taken us 20 plus years to get to this point yeah. now. Um, yeah. The reason why the VNCA went down the voluntary route is because it is a proven pathway for allied health professions to transition from a voluntary registration scheme into a a mandatory registration scheme that is legislated. Um, The tricky bit that we have is that we have different veterinary surgeons acts in every single state and veterinary surgeons boards in every single state that manage their um, their own legislation and their own vets registered under them. Um, If we were to do that, we would need to get every single one of those states on board um, at the stage, or we would need to have a National Veterinary Surgeons Act. Um, The VNCA are persistently and continuously working with vet surgeons boards. Um, I had a meeting in May, which which will seem so long ago by the time this airs, but um, I went to a meeting in May of the Australasian Veterinary Boards Council to talk with all of the veterinary surgeons um, boards about registration Mm -hmm. um, and to, uh, I suppose, get them to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And um, it was really nice to see so many people uh, excited about what we were doing, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, changing legislation is going to take time mm. and it's not going to be an overnight thing. But I guess I want our members to know that the VNCA will continuously strive for that to happen um, mm-hmm. and strive for the recognition of veterinary nurses and technicians within mm-hmm. legislation. So we will not stop. Um, uh and and we'll keep pushing but we do need the numbers to to help us with that because then that's right we've got that behind us to sort of say you know well this percentage of the industry Mm. backs this scheme you know and so do the vets and everybody working within that so therefore Therefore it will be worth the effort that's right changing the legislation yeah Yeah. so Mm. you know we were 500 a couple of weeks ago in um at the start of August and I'm hoping that we're well past that by the time this goes to air um, yeah. ready for the anniversary of our launch um, yep. on the 1st of April. And um, the other thing that I'm, I'm really keen to see is, is uh, high numbers of those vet nurses and technicians out there re-registering so renewing it's not okay just to do it once guys (laughs) we really need you to get on board and keep following this you know keep pushing along with us because yeah um we can't do it if we if we don't maintain those numbers as well so we need to both gain them and maintain them to show our government and to show our vet surgeons boards that we mean business uh, the presidency's been going great. <laughs> I've really been enjoying it. That's good. Um, I've again, this is something that I've I've sort of thought about for a really long time, throwing my hat in the ring. But with kids and things like that, it was never quite possible. Um, yeah, timing wise. And yeah, so far I've been really enjoying it. We've been doing a lot of great work around planning for the future, and um, it's really it's really great working with a bunch of people that all have the same goal in mind Mm. Um, you know we all have different ideas and we all have 
uh, I suppose, different things to contribute as far as skill sets and, and um, you know, I suppose, experiences. But mm. the great thing is that every single one of those people that come to the table, um, whether it be on the board or on the committees, they all have a passion and drive for veterinary nursing um, mm. and why we do what we do. And they all want to make this industry the best that it can be. And I really love that. And we need to we need to promote what we're doing more so that people understand. But yeah. I guess for our members to understand, you know, we are constantly out there talking with industry partners and industry representatives. Yeah. We're constantly mm-hmm. pushing the agenda of promoting veterinary nursing um, within our within our within our industry and um you know things like wage reviews and all that Mm. sort of stuff you know we're Mm -hmm. involved in all of that all the time training packages I've spent the last oh I don't even know five years of my time so far and we're still not there yet with the diploma although I'm sure we will be um by the time this goes to air because I have a meeting next Monday actually where (laughs) where it should all be finished by yeah but um you know, the amount of hours that our, that our volunteers put into some of those things. But then there are also lots of little things that people can do, like being involved in local local division stuff or mm. even just talking to other people about, about what it is that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, spreading the word and, and getting involved is exactly why we're here. And yeah. um, having people want to... Um, I suppose, want to commit to that shared dream and vision um, is just really exciting and it, and it uh, yeah, just, <laughs> it's really great. Um, Queensland Division, um, whilst being a really fresh committee that, you know, um, and you're with those guys. Um, yeah, that's you know, my crew. Yeah, I mean, I just to look at what you guys just pulled off in Cairns is wonderful. And yeah. um, seeing the commitment and the interest of veterinary nurses around the country is really exciting. So um, so that's great. And I hope that I hope that by the time we get to conference uh, in a few weeks' time, by the time you listen to this. That's right, future I really, people. Yeah, future people. I really <laughs> hope to be able to meet more of these amazing vet nurses out there. I get really excited going to conference because Yeah. If you haven't been to conference, it's the best. Go to a VNCA <sighs> conference. It's gonna be amazing. As always, yeah. I mean the VNCA conference has been getting bigger and better every single year since I've been attending and um it's it truly is a powerhouse few days. It's uh Yeah, it's the it's best. And all the so streams are great. And the exhibitors all say I don't know if they just say it, but I feel like that it is their favourite conference. So you've got yeah. all the trade exhibitors going, you know, this is the funnest one and I've been to yeah. um vet conferences with Matt and just been like, Hmm, where's all like the fun games and free yeah. stuff? <laughs> like, <laughs> they really spoil us. So Absolutely. Um, I worth mean going. we are all about fun, right? Um, whether it's it's yeah. making fun of your colleagues because they do weird things with their feet when they take x-rays. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I mean, you have to have fun in this environment because you, do. you would go mad otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah. So you've definitely. got to enjoy it. But yeah, conference is absolutely the highlight of my year, I think. Um, and it's in Melbourne this year, which is um, yes. which is great. So I will definitely be trying um, to get there. Uh, and, Absolutely. you know, on that, and this is a good Avnat question. Yeah. Um, so when you're getting your 20 points, do we yeah. need to have some from each of those four separate sections or there's no limit to how many from each? Yeah, that's a really great question. So some of the sections have limits yeah. and some don't. 
the yes, good news okay. is, is that the one where you're going to conferences or doing webinars or whatever, no limit. Yep. So okay, yep. you can get as much as you want through uh, that avenue. So you can get uh, all of them from that avenue if you wanted to. Absolutely. So if you cool. rock up to conference in a few weeks' time and you get your points, you'll get 20-something points. Um, so you'll get more than what you need. Yeah. You will max out. Um, and that's a really good opportunity for you to think about accreditation as well on top of yeah. that um, yeah, yeah. because you can push it to the next level. But yep. um, there are other areas, say leadership, um, mm -hmm. where uh, – you have sort of max out um, yeah, yeah, at 10 reading points journals for that or, category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's mm -hmm. other things that have a few limits as well mm -hmm. um, because we want to sort of share the load. And I suppose some things are a bit easier to measure than others. Um, so obviously if you attend something or like a webinar or a conference, then you're getting a certificate to show that you've been there. Whereas reading a mm. journal is a little bit more fluid and mm -hmm. um, a little bit more subjective, I suppose. So we did yeah. put limits on those sorts of things. But yeah. the way that we set up that CPD policy um, it took such a long time yeah. <laughs> for anybody reading it. It took a really long time and we actually did a lot of background research. Um, yeah. We worked with a with a project management company that um, did some research for us as well yeah. into um, registration schemes and accreditation schemes around the world and also yeah. in allied health um, in yeah. Australia. And so we came together with a mashup of um, what we felt was best practice given yeah. all the information that we had. Um, and it will evolve over time. Um, yeah absolutely it will evolve I think it's very fair and I think it's achievable yeah. um yeah and yeah. you know there's always the opportunity to go to conference if like me you pull your head out of the sand and go whoa where did the last six months go absolutely. I need to now go on a tax deductible <laughs> holiday to Melbourne damn <laughs> whoops that sucks <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure but I think I guess the other thing that I should point out too is if you can't come to conference because I know that there are lots of nurses out there that can't yeah. um, for whatever reason there are or if they're worried about how much it's going to cost to get their CPD points there are so many free options out there yeah. there are heaps yep. of free webinars if you're a VNCA member you get six a year mm -hmm. directly from us plus mm -hmm. your um, points from reading the journal and doing the quiz, um, which is another six. So that's 12 straight up just from your VNCA membership. Um, and then you can do things like do a presentation in your workplace. Yeah. Well, I hope to see you at conference. And if not, yes. you know, I'll be doing a presentation to my team. Oh, great. <laughs> so get the points. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. And Absolutely. I just want to finish off by asking you if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the industry, who would it be and what would you say? Wow. I've had a few. Um over the years <laughs> yeah and I and I think at different stages as well um so I guess my very first boss and friend Gavin Rippon who um who said yes when I was 11 <laughs> <laughs> to coming and helping out and then supported me um throughout you know, learning as a as a junior, and obviously yeah. the the nurses Kath and Roz, who who um, worked with me and taught me so many things. Um, and then at uni, I had a mentor, Jody Braddock, who was my mentor throughout my studies. Um, and again, I don't think I could have done it without her. She really supported me in the workplace and read all of my assignments and gave mm -hmm. me excellent feedback every mm -hmm. single time. And then when I think about 
where I've progressed to um, in other aspects of my career, such as, you know, speaking at conferences and um, my training side of things. And um, within the VNCA, I would have to say Helen Power is mm. uh, has absolutely been a mentor and has supported me and and given me opportunities that that I sometimes feel I didn't deserve <laughs> or maybe even wasn't quite ready for but she must have seen something um you know so I'm so grateful for those opportunities that um that those people have given me and you know Sue has also been a huge supporter and and um throughout my career as well of course yep, um, Sue's amazing yeah, just having people believe in you is is so so amazing. I've been very lucky um, to be supported. So I want to say thank you to all of those people and more because there are so many others. Um, you know, I've worked alongside Joe Hatcher for such a long time now, um, mm. and she's a great source of inspiration and and um, and a great sounding board for so many things. <laughs> and for so many people, I don't think an episode goes by where I'm not like, well, Joe Hatcher said this and so now I do this. I know, right? <laughs> That's it. I'm so grateful for all of those people that have, have um, influenced where I am today and allowed me to get to this point because I feel kind of – you know, I feel like I'm in my happy place, yeah. really. Um, when I saw you go from launching Avnat to being announced at the uh, as the president at the conference, <laughs> I was like, this is Jazz's time, damn yeah. it. <laughs> I was so overwhelmed that week. I mean, and yeah. by the time he says that was a year ago, but that was such an overwhelming week. I, yeah. You know, on the Tuesday before conference started, I got handed my – my registration pack at oh. the very first person to be handed yeah. a registration pack yeah. in our meeting that day and of course I cried like a baby um, <laughs> because you know to see all this hard work finally come to fruition and be able to yeah. put that badge on and proudly yeah. say we did it yeah. um, that yeah. was really exciting and yeah I mean launching Avnat was again something that we dreamt about for so long and all of that work that went through, you know, with Helen and Jane Binloss and Sue all in the past as well. And everybody mm. else involved with that, um, has, has got us to that stage. And I think that was a really overwhelming thing. And, yeah. um, and then at the AGM that week, <laughs> that week, they, um, they gave me life membership, which was yeah. also another overwhelming. And again, I bawled like a baby because clearly I was very emotional. By that yeah, point. <laughs> I was there and I was like, oh my God, uh, what, what more can happen? Ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And then I was like, oh, okay. And now the presidency kicks off and away we go. And I was like, by the time I finished that week, I was, I think I was quite emotionally wrung out, but also really, really happy, um, with what we'd done and also yeah. really stoked to be um, able to kind of see things through. I, I really, I really want to see us through. I will not stop until, until the VNCA has achieved what we want to achieve with registration. And I feel so strongly about that. I think that that is an excellent note to finish up on and I totally um, believe that that you will and I hope it's nice for you to listen back, um, you know, in April. Yes. <laughs> and, and I've no doubt that you will have kicked a million more goals between now and then. Um, and, yeah, I just uh, hope you've had a fantastic year being the president of the VNCA and um, I can't wait to see what's to come. Thank you so much, Kat. It's been heaps of fun. It has been, Jazz. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Radio Fitness, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Fitness or drop in at radiovetness.com.